0: but also transferable skills and you know agriculture is you know there's leadership there's machinery there's equipment there's livestock there's uh, judgment there's environment there's water and that's just and food production and preparation and biosecurity and data management and that's just you know one little part of you know being being you know, in one role and those skills are so transferable
1: well, we are back in Brizzy. We've left the organic industry behind last week and we're now gonna talk beef and leadership and all those kinds of lessons. But we're sitting down on Turbul and Jagera country and I'd like to acknowledge them as the traditional custodians on this land and acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging. I'm, I, I say I'm excited every week because I genuinely am. I, I love sitting down with our different guests. and. Today is someone who I really wanted to sit down with for quite some time. I've, I've never met Troy Setter in real life. i would only ever um, kind of observed and seen just how busy he was uh, in, in the industry. But Troy is a very well-renowned industry leader. His involvement and passion for beef dates back to his childhood. But when it comes to what it takes to be a CEO, I reckon Troy started that journey way back uh, in his early years. Troy touches on that he was fortunate to land a cadetship with Twynham Group uh, as he was in university. It meant that he was able to work alongside studying and it was from these early years where Troy set his work ethic, his grit and determination to make sure that yes he was having fun at uni but that he was absolutely making the most uh, of the opportunity in front of him. I've chatted with plenty of guests and A few of them have talked about momentum and what it takes, and and when you start to create momentum, different opportunities uh, pop up. And Troy is definitely one of these people. He he comes across as a bit of a yes man. And the morning that I actually sat down with Troy, I was flicking through the internet and I came across a quote from Waverley Stanley, which I think um, sums up Troy pretty well. Waverley said, if I want to do something, I'll find a way. If I don't want to do it, I'll find an excuse. And I think, uh, yeah, as I sat down with Troy, it was just fascinating as we talked from everything from customers to consumers, to leading teams, to what it takes and and what it means to be um, part of CPC. So I hope you enjoy this chat. I think it's an incredible insight into Troy Setter and his journey to being CEO of Consolidated Pastoral Company. Thanks for having us in here in Brizzy at the CPC office. So I think one thing, um, I've, I've seen you a lot um, in a lot of places but I've never really had the chance to sit down and find out more about you and kind of what your journey's been like so I'm excited to, to be here.
0: Yeah it's great to, great to have you in the office at CPC today and good to finally meet you face to face.
1: And I feel like from the outside looking in you must be one of the busiest people uh, getting around. I always see that you, I, I'm guessing we'll get to it but Yes, maybe you're a bit of a yes man, and you, you you take things on, and you must be an incredible juggler.
0: Yeah, I'd, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to to be you know surrounded by great people and and have a really great team, um, and yeah, probably start, say yes at times, but also it's a privilege to to be asked, and and I think you know, the I remember Bernie Binden who you know was one of the mentors you know, with that I had early on, and. He often said things like, "You know, bite off more than you can chew, and chew like mad, and and hope that you can swallow it all and, and get into it." So, but I also think, you know, it's it's just so important for all of us to be you know, actively involved in our employed organisations as well as uh, elected organisations where we can, or other industry organisations, to uh, to for the better of our industries.
1: Absolutely, you just reminded me. I saw a quote as I was jumping on the plane this morning, and it was from Waverley Stanley from Yulari and he's. Uh, his quote was, "If it's important, I'll find a way. If it's not important, I'll find an excuse." I thought that was a cracker. Yeah, absolutely. And so, this this love of agriculture, like, wh- where does it come from? Why Why are you involved in the industry?
0: Yeah, look, I was, I was fortunate enough to grow up on a really small farm in New South Wales, and that was that was really cool, but certainly not anything you could live off. Um, and then went was fortunate enough also to go to agricultural high school at, at Hurlston and and you know, a lot of my mates had good sized farms when I was at school and I'd go and work on those in, in holidays and, and um and go and have fun out there. So it just was sort of natural I suppose to me, and something that I really, really enjoyed. And um, you know, I probably wasn't the, the smartest student at school either and, and so agriculture was something I could do that I enjoyed and and, you know, I'm a bit of a, if I enjoy something, I'll do it pretty well. If I don't enjoy it, I'm, uh, I need to be dragged kicking and screaming. So agriculture was, uh, was one of those good things. And was it pretty
1: obvious through high school that you, you had this love of the land and that that was the way you were going to go?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it was you know, something that uh, I could do you know, outdoors and something I could sort of do with my hands a fair bit. And, and, uh, and yeah, I certainly enjoyed agriculture. So when I left school, going and being a jackaroo was you know, pretty natural, I suppose, for me. Your, your earliest memories of ag, was it at the at the family farm or was it, where was it? Yeah, it was certainly at our little family farm with, you know, we had a, a few cattle and had a horse and, you know, chickens and ducks and all that sort of, a few sheep and, and things like that. So that was, yeah, earliest memories and just, you know, the handling of them and health practices and... And those things, even though it was on such a small scale, but it was just really interesting and felt really fulfilling, and, and it was good fun, um, and uh, and that's really where, where I started and where I've continued to enjoy. I was also very lucky to be able to show a few cattle um, when I was younger for a variety of studs who were really, you know, helpful to me, lent me their cattle or or gave me a bit of pocket money for working for them, and and that was really cool. And That probably you know, refined a bit my first sort of love in agriculture, which was cattle and beef but uh, certainly worked a lot more diverse in agriculture since then.
1: Uh, it's pretty strong uh, today. Yeah. Was your was old man working on the family farm or was he...? No,
0: nah, he'd look weekends and things a little bit, but it was just tiny little place. But he, um, Dad worked for, uh, for BHP and Telstra and a few different things and, and did, did a lot of uh, surveyor by trade originally, and Mum was a teacher... By trade um originally so uh yeah so there was certainly you yeah, off-farm income to keep the hobby alive
1: do you reckon your old man looks at uh at you with a bit of jealousy in terms of how you've been able
0: to work for some bigger organizations but maybe where the love was yeah possibly i've never really asked him but possibly <laughs> I'd, I'd say he um he's always had an in- interest in agriculture and land and you know, when they you know saved up to buy a small farm so he pro- probably does yeah
1: with, with your jackarooing, whereabouts did you head to and what kind of.
0: So I, I kicked off with uh, when I left school with Twynham Group and stayed with them for about 10 years. I started at Mungadale Station just out of Hay, um, very large sheep station, but also had you know, a few thousand cattle and had a lot of cropping back then. There was lots of rice and uh, corn and, um, and a bit of salt bush cropping, and, and Twynham were really innovative. Company and the a family really innovative as well, and uh, in their leadership through Twynham. So, started at, at Mungadal and then and then in my first year, actually worked on a couple of properties that Twynham had in the Riverina, uh, and then also around Forbes and and around Warren, um, in whether it was cotton or cattle or sheep or cereal grains, and then um, it was part of a cadetship program where Twynham. Was part time um, working and part time at university for a few years, and then. Became a station and feedlot manager, and but I got to do lots of projects and worked on all their properties all over New South Wales in all sorts of commodities, which was uh, which was great.
1: Was that something like when you looked at Twynham as kind of your your first job out of school? Did you see this, their kind of cadetship program and you thought like well, that's the angle I want to go? Or was it something in which the doors started to open up to as you got inside the business? Um,
0: a little bit of both, but definitely I, I saw Twynam as an organisation I wanted to be a part of, and knew they had a cadetship program. And and back then there was several you know, agribusiness companies that had cadetship programs, and you, a lot of them you started as a jackaroo, or, yeah. um, and uh, and they were you know excellent to me. They were really good. I mean they, they worked me really hard. It was, but that was great. I I love hard work. So. Yeah.
1: Do you, does it still exist today in terms of that? Like I know that we've got graduate programs and things in the industry, but in terms of like the the connections, I think Richard Rains is another one who's talked about that really starting at the. I think he was um, he was on the ports or something yeah. with uh, with the
0: sheepskins. Yeah, the, probably not as much as there, there was. We don't sort of have as as much today as the, the traditional pastoral company anymore. Even though there's you know, lots of large agricultural companies. Yeah, we're not as traditional as we used to be, possibly. Um, I think you know, there, there is some organisations that will, on a case-by-case basis, quietly um, help existing team members with education support. Or, and we're probably seeing it like at, at CPC, rather than invest just in one or two people per year, um, as, as much we're spreading that over multiple people. And I think learning and education is a bit different in terms of how it's delivered and what can be done online or remotely. Yep. Um, but I, I do see that those cadetship programs are, are really, really good. We've also seen a few companies move to more graduate programs. So picking people up after graduation and then saying, right, you know, this is what your first two years looks like yep. post-graduation. Um, we helped a, a vet student. We've got a couple other people that are doing student programs and things that we're helping at the moment that are internal at CPC and or have come to us and and but it, it's more on a case by case basis now. Yeah
1: right. There. I think um what was I oh
0: like that—that
1: that transition to studying as well as working. Did you feel like you were getting pulled one way or the other? Or was it was it a pretty easy thing to be able to juggle? Like on, you're at UNA, at Rob College, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you juggle the social life? And <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> you just, I suppose you just did. I I knew that I needed my day job with yeah. Twinum to you know to to fund my. You know, getting through college and doing doing a further education, <laughs> so it absolutely came first for me. So there was sacrifices that I you know made from time to time, but I, I still had a great time. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, and um, but you just you learn to you know burn the candle at both ends and work pretty hard and and, and but that that's that's life. That's you know if you want to you know professional corporate executive career it's 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 not easy um it's a lot of fun but it, it's certainly not easy so from you know it, it's just more of the same I suppose for me was it
1: um like did you have aspirations like kind of in those early days when you got that ship that you wanted to be an industry leader like did you really know or aspire to have a pretty profound
0: impact on the industry? Uh, no, no. Look, I, I was pretty... Every day I woke up excited with what I was doing and, you know, and some days you'd get a little bit more responsibility or you'd get mm. offered a new experience or you, you know, there was a, an opportunity to meet someone that was exciting or there might have been a... Well, got offered a job and so for, for me, every day, whether it was, you know, you know, mustering some cattle when I was younger or, you know, getting the opportunity to learn something new was exciting. So, no, I never had any... Any sort of thought that I'd you know do what I'm doing today and and um, I was you know, just happy doing what I was doing so and so
1: at what stage like in your career you, you mentioned you you're with Twana for ten or so years, but did that the momentum start to take over like the I guess the opportunities start to yeah create different opportunities for you
0: yeah I think you know, partially you know, the yeah you, know, you, you try and be actively involved in your community. Um, where you where you work and where, where you live because it's the right thing to do um, I think you know for, for me I was you know through Twinum got into the feedlotting industry pretty pretty well in the, the back end of my time with Twynham and managed Gunny feedlot I got yeah the, the feedlots uh, had a perception at, at that time and, and our feedlot in particular of probably being you know not exactly what they were so there was a lot of engagement with the local community engagement with industry you know opening the gate and showing people what we actually do and that you know we manage runoff and we have you know the cattle are healthy and happy and this is how we measure it and and so that then you know opens the door to get involved in organizations a, a bit more and and uh, and then you know no industry has a right to exist you have responsibilities to 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 exist you have responsibilities to your stakeholders And your stakeholders just aren't your shareholders or your customers they're your you know staff and and the local community where you live and and government and other things so yeah just got more actively involved in some of those things and and then that just led to you know other opportunities and and um you know and the world's also run by those that turn up and sometimes if you see something that's not going how you want it to go don't sit at home and complain and whinge that it's you're not getting the policy outcome that you want or you're not getting the the industry outcome that you want you know turn up and be part of the the uh the solution and and uh, and i've always had that that view of you know, if you don't like what's happening you know you need to go there and turn up and and try and be part of the solution and if if you can't get changed have a look at yourself of why you couldn't get changed maybe you're wrong or maybe you didn't present your idea well enough so
1: yeah it's an interesting philosophy like i was um this week uh or, yeah earlier this week just down um in sydney for the innovation generation um chrisa buckland and christina hermanson came together and they decided oh let's instead of just doing another panel session let's have a debate and it was the topic was that the consumer is always right and I, I think it's such an interesting part where like in ag you, your consumer and your customers often not in australia in the case of what we do but well the piece which we really need to engage with and hopefully we'll, we're trying to do is it's that community piece yeah. but how, how have you found that is it literally by just being within the community um yeah how, how have you found ways to better connect kind of consumers
0: community and and what you and your businesses do i think it's important to understand who your customer is and who the consumer is and often they're not the same same person so yeah. if, if you sell you know, simplistically, if you produce grain and sell grain to the local silos, to the trader that trades out of those silos, they're your customer. Mm-hmm. The consumer that eats bread or biscuits is not your customer. Um, and But that consumer is so, so important because ultimately they, they generate some cash somewhere to buy a product that you have an input mm. and an ingredient into and it flows back down down to you. And if they lose trust in your commodity or, or the product that ultimately you um, put your product into as an ingredient, um, then you're not going to get paid in the... In the short and the long term, yeah. so building trust with your customer is really important because they then on sell to someone directly or indirectly that ends up at a consumer, and you've got to pick up their feedback. But also having trust with that consumer that your inputs, if they're grain or beef or or, or other products, is is so so important. I think as a farmer and a person in the industry, yeah, you know, engaging with one person at a barbecue or at a you know at the pub or you know or one person on social media is is just such a great start i think here a lot of people go oh, i i don't have many followers on social media or i don't really you know go to those events i don't think that that really matters i think it's responsibility of all of us to have you know united messages but many voices and you know but we we also can't you know gloss over things that, as an industry you know, that consumers or, or the general public or stakeholders have concerns about and, and we shouldn't hide about animal welfare, we should talk freely about it and what we do and what we don't do and why and, and uh, you know, environmental management let, rather than gloss over it or, or greenwash it is actually talk about the truth and what we do do. We have great examples of what we do really well and there's stuff that we're still working out. Um, but uh we you know engaging whether it's in social media or face to face with even just one person that's outside of our industry is is a great start
1: do you remember when you first had it, and it was really interesting because someone mentioned it today and they were like well where do i even get started and you've said that kind of had that one conversation but do you, thinking back can you remember when you've had a conversation and you thought wow like how how good does that feel i didn't get that negative backlash like it do you remember one early on in your career or at some stage?
0: Yeah, I think it was, you know, local, um, you know, just with feedlotting and, and you know, a couple of neighbours who really said, oh, you know, the you know, the feedlot up there, you know, oh, you know, where does the runoff go? And it all ends up in my creek. And I was like, well, come and have a look. Let's go for a drive. Come up and drive in the front gate with me and let's go and look at the effluent ponds and the irrigation system and the piezometers into the water and the testing systems and... And no, we actually none of our liquid goes anywhere near creeks and rivers and we don't want it to, because yeah. we pump back out of it for, for livestock water and drinking water for houses, for staff and, and everyone, you know, those people going, wow, this is amazing and look at the investment and how much is that truck worth and how many people do you employ and you know, getting that engagement. I think too, I I try to at times engage with activists who are anti animal production or anti live export online and through social media. I always say to them, don't be afraid to pick up the phone and and ask. For some of them, that uh, is unhelpful for them because, you know, they just want to throw rocks. And having someone that says, no, I'm open and happy to have a chat to you, we may agree to disagree, but let's have a chat. The vast majority of them disappear, but some of them will pick up the phone or engage in social media. More than half of the time, you get a thank you and a, wow, I didn't understand that side of the story or or there's more to it than I thought, um, and you can have some pretty positive engagement. I don't know if you're necessarily changing them and, and turning them around fully, but it's surprised me how many sort of, you know, anti-animal consumption or anti-animal processing people that I've discussed what we actually do and why we do it and how we do it have actually been pleasantly surprised and, and have now got the other side of the story. And, and to the point where I've had you know several contact me later and say, you know what, I now eat beef, I've done a bit more research into this, there's actually a whole lot. Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. A lot more to it and, and you guys care for your livestock a, a lot more than what I thought or a lot more than what I was being told.
1: Yeah, no, nah, it's
0: interesting, isn't it? And I, I think it's
1: so much of it comes in in terms of what you're, like your approach. If you're going in trying to chat to someone who's a far left or a full anti kind of animal ag person like if you just go let's just go in with the intention of let's just give them as much information and at the end of the day they can remove yourself from it but like as in they can make a decision and i'll still sleep well at night like if you're going in trying to convince them and have this oh they've got to be a beef consumer to win like that's a that's a hard win but if you if you're as you're saying just putting the information out there it's you can end up with a pretty positive outcome I want to know um, in terms of, so you took different opportunities and one of them was um, the, the meat judging piece back at uni and and that really started to open the doors to you. Um, I actually, so I know people at Marcus Alden did it, I never kind of got involved in it, but what was it about the intercollegiate meat judging competition that um, yeah sh- showed you about the industry
0: and what opportunities came from it? Yeah, look, I... For me, I'd been fortunate enough through you know experience that I had to, to go to a fair few few abattoirs. So for me, it it was not just about going and seeing sort of post farm gate. It it the opportunity for me was to to see about the improvements that were being made post farm gate, the science of meat, um, the productivity of meat, how the value of yield and and uh, and then how meat is um, how meat supply chains work and how dynamic and how fast they are. And how complex they are I think for me specifically within intercollegiate collegiate meat judging was you know it's amazing to help boost your memory skills your description skills your public speaking skills the the opportunity to do that intense training program work as a team you know train and, and educate as a team if you look at a lot of you know study I suppose a lot of study is done at the individual person level where yeah, I think there's intercollegiate meat judging, you actually learn and compete and train and as a team of people and that's really good for, for learning. The opportunities that intercollegiate meat judging gave to me to go to the US, Japan, Korea, learn about their meat industries, um, get confidence to, to just you know stand up and publicly speak or ask questions and... And, and go to lots of different universities and meat processing facilities. and Things was just just amazing, and um, that was uh, that was really cool, and, and um, really just opened my my um, my eyes up to the world even more, and and um, you know gave me some some great learnings, and and, uh, and really you know broadened my horizons on on how I thought about the red meat industry. Do you find often today you still take learnings from that time into your day to day? Yeah, definitely do and and I helped coach the CPC teams. We had a CPC team at in a collegiate meet judging in Rockhampton this year and Ooh, I, competitive. I, yeah, they came <laughs> they came second so that was yeah. uh, you know they're all out at you know long reach black all uh, team and and they were in the in the competition up in rockhampton and did did really really well and you know there's no abattoirs out there for them to train in they had to do killers in the paddock we had to do yeah, cool. virtual um you know they did awful cutting up animals getting awful and and then we did a lot of virtual and cut based training for them and and um, photograph training but so it's a, it's a great opportunity to to yeah to give back as well
1: i want to know i've got so many questions for you but what do like, I just reckon you, it seems like you've just got the coolest job now where it's like you can be in the paddock one day, then boardrooms the next. Like, do you just absolutely love getting back on
0: farm and alongside? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. And I've got to be careful that, you know, it's, I, I would love to be, you know, just in the yards with the team drafting cattle and looking at cattle all day. It's, that's their job and, and that head stockman and that manager, that's their responsibility and they've got to have ownership. Like I love going and sitting there and looking at the bulls and talking to the guys about the heifers and looking at the feeder steers and, you know, I was in Indonesia last week and, you know, you walk every pen and look at every feeder steer and every feeder heifer and go and look at you know, go go the abattoir and look at them all. And you, that's an important part of my job to make sure we're doing our, our work properly. But I've also got to let, you know, the management team get on. With doing their job, and they've got to have responsibility and ownership. But you know, I I rarely get the chance to jump on a motorbike or a horse, but I do love it. And yeah, you know, but I'd get in the way. I'm, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and and we you know we've got people who've trained to do those jobs and are, are leaders in those teams. So for, you know, for me to come in and say oh I'm going to go and muster with you today, like you know that head Stockman's got to run that camp. He doesn't need, off, he doesn't I need mean, me there yeah. and getting <laughs> in his getting in his way or confusing messages. But I'm genuinely interested in what they're doing, and I and I love it. So. What, what is your favourite aspects of your role now? Um, it's a good question. I think, you know, there, there's no sort of singular area that probably... I do love the, the genetics and the breeding. We've made lots and lots of changes here in terms of how we think about what success looks like in terms of productivity of our cattle. We're absolutely chasing more kilos per animal, more kilos per hectare. Um, we want to have more brandings, you know, less mortality. We want to have better market compliance. So we've made some huge changes there. Because of the vertical integration into our feedlots in Indonesia, we get the benefit from uh, investing in genetics and investing in um, yeah you know, productivity that goes beyond Farmgate and and not that we get paid directly for, for yield by our customers on an animal-by-animal animal basis, but it's absolutely factored into the week-by-week, month-by-month pricing and so that's uh, that's really exciting for me. Um, I, I certainly are genuinely interested in the development of people and, and just talking to the team, sharing experiences, giving them advice, giving them confidence. I think a big part of it is you know we, we have so many... Great people at CPC, and we have a lot of young people. Is, is just giving them confidence to make decisions, make mistakes, um, ask for help. Is um, and 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 that's uh, that's really really helpful and really valuable. Um, I think that, yeah, and then we're doing some land use change here, we're, you know, going from cattle country to cotton on some of the properties or sorghum and that's really exciting and, and you know, because I spent a lot of time in feedlotting, I love our two feedlots in Indonesia, you know, we've got, you know, a, a great dedicated team up there and we get some really great results and that's just, just exciting, so, but there's there's days that aren't that much fun too, like when you're, you know, going through the financials and board reports and you you know not every conversation with every team member in the in the business is easy every day and you know not everyone tries their hardest you know i'd be lying lying if i said they did and and uh like any company we've got to you know show the right leadership and and show the right values and make sure that we've got that flowing through our team
1: in terms of a question i guess around building the team like what are maybe some of the learnings that you've had maybe there might be a few cock-ups along the way but like yeah some of the the learnings that you've had in terms of really galvanizing people heading towards what the vision of the business is but then also managing change as part of that and the evolution
0: yeah i think yeah for for us and and is you got to, and for me, is define your values. What what are your values? What's not negotiable, and and what do you, what's your compass? Uh, I don't know. If, you probably can't see on the screen, but if you look around our office here, the values are on all the windows, they're on all the doors, they're stuck up around the business. Um, you know, So values is really important. The vision is is really clear. Um, I think the the behaviour or the performance that you walk past that you don't that you don't think is good enough that you don't say anything or do anything about is the behavior or the performance that you accept yeah. and that pretty quickly becomes the, the behavior or the acceptable behavior I think you know for, for me you know just about everyone has potential to, to do whatever they want but not everyone wants to do what they want and you know, the, you've got some people with huge amount of capability that don't want to be a manager and you've got people with not as much ability or didn't have the experiences or didn't have the training that want to be a manager. And you've got to invest in those people possibly a bit longer. And, and they can be really loyal people who, who, you know, they really value the training and the education and, and they value what they missed out on being replaced at a later date in their career. So it's a, it's a real mix. We've, we've got a great team of people. Um, not everyone fits at CPC. We, we're really clear with people that we care about animals we care about animal welfare. We care about human welfare. We care about people's safety. We care about the environment. We work really hard. Um, if you don't care about animal welfare or don't care about human safety and you don't like working hard, then CPC is not for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm pretty pretty blunt with people about that. But if you like animals, like caring and working with other people, and yeah, and you're you know not afraid of some hard work, bloody, yeah, we'll give you a go. So.
1: I think that's all really really cool. And just just the honesty, you'd, you'd, yeah, you'd, you'd very quickly work out if it's kind of black and white, isn't it? If you're if you're showing up and you're agreeing with them, it's it's easy to see. If you're not, well, then it's. It's just as easy to see as
0: well, isn't it? Absolutely, and it's not in a arrogant way or a dictatorial way. I mean, we, I, you know, we very much try and have an open door and and try and have, um, you know, a deep deep engagement with people. But you know, you've got to be really clear with people about what your business is mm. and how your business operates, and not everyone fits into into every business. You know. Yeah. I, I would struggle to, to work in an organisation where it's dictated from the top and and um, yeah you know, and that you know, collaboration and free sharing of ideas is is not encouraged. Now there's plenty of organisations like that and they thrive and people love working there. But CPC is not like that, and that's from our owner, our board, and myself down and but also back up through the organisations.
1: Well, on that, I'm I'm interested because so you changed. Roles. you started off with twinum spent a bit of time at aA Co yeah. and then CPC as well so in terms of your advice to people in terms of that changing businesses in one hand we've talked about kind of that the beauty of building people up within your business here at CPC but knowing that yeah you you get the good people they do move on they go and have an impact in other businesses and and the industry um, what, what's your advice to people around that
0: in through their careers about Chopping and changing role. Make the most of the time you're at at an organisation. So if you're there for one month, one year, ten years, make the most of that time. You'll be judged and known by how you behave at exit. Um, is is pretty pretty much the rule of thumb. I think though you do see some people jump and move too quick. Um, and yeah, and sure, I, I've moved and, and left, and, and that was due to lack of opportunities, or you know, or being um, or being offered another opportunity, or or you know, at times you know probably going you know I, I might have you know not as been as happy as I, I could have been in, in a role or, or in a property, and, and it's people often leave managers. You've got to be really honest with yourself. Why is someone leaving? Are, are they leaving because of their manager, yeah. or are they leaving? because they've tapped out in their career and there's not too many other opportunities for them or are they just leaving to you know because they want to go to uni or go backpacking or yeah. you know we have a, a reasonable turnover of young people here and and they leave for a variety of reasons but we've got to really be on top of are they leaving because of their manager or are they leaving because of other life or career opportunities i i I like people to stay with us for as long as they're happy and as long as they're learning and as long as they're adding value and we're adding value to each other, but not everyone's going to stay. We try and overproduce potential supervisors here, uh, potential managers. Um, we're not going to keep all of them. Um, and But, you know, if we employ good people, we train them well, we invest in them. The time they're here, they add value to us. And um, they help help our business. So, um, a bit of t- a bit of staff turnover is is not a bad thing. Too much is, yep. and the, the finding that grey line is is hard. Yeah,
1: it comes with a lot of conversations. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And honesty. Yeah. For, for you, what um
0: what, what role have mentors played in your development? Um, a, a fair amount. I've probably haven't had the official mentor as such that that we see a lot more people have structure about today in agriculture. I think outside of agriculture, when I was younger, there was absolutely structured mentoring in other industries when I talked to CEOs of other organisations in other industries and and people my age. But I think for me, there was people I looked up to or people I observed or people who took time out to show me who I probably didn't think of them as a mentor at the time, but but unofficially they were. But I also had a couple of bosses that were just terrible. Um, And I learned a lot from them about how I didn't want to behave, how I didn't want to bully people, how I didn't want to yell and scream, how I didn't want to ever ask someone to do something that I wouldn't do myself, whether that was ethically or physically. Um, And that was, you know, they were were difficult periods of time, but you learn a lot from that from those um and i think you know when i i talk to you know some of our team here they might have some frustrations with a supervisor or manager or they've left us because they left left another organization to come to us because they're really unhappy where they were and we're glad to have them don't get me wrong good people are, are great to join your organization but you know talking to them about don't see it totally as a negative experience what were the what were the learnings from that
1: yeah no it's an interesting one my dad said to me i reckon maybe in my early to mid twenties. And it was like, it's just about as work. It's just as much about working out what you don't like and don't want to do as it is about trying to find what it is you want to
0: do. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, I want to talk about this, this juggle that you have, you've got numerous roles and I think, Oh, just to list a couple, you've obviously CEO and a director with CPC, you're the chair of live corp, the chair of Dolly's dream. So you've got some really cool different, um, roles from kind of industry organizations obviously here at CPC and then a role w- with a charity as well so like how how is that when it comes to picking up different roles like how do they come to you is it just a continual shoulder tap uh, for you or,
0: or do you go looking for things that you're really interested in um it's probably a little bit a little bit of both I mean if I, I look at Dolly's dream. You know, honoured to be asked by Tick and Kate Everett to, to join join the board there. I, I was worked with Tick and Kate years ago, and and you know when Dolly took her her life tragically, you know I spent some time talking to Tick and Kate and and giving them a bit of advice, and it sort of just you know fell into into place. And I was at a meeting with them one day, and then you know I was chair sort of thing. And, <laughs> and, and uh, but yeah, the, with all of the things I do all of those organisations have got great people and it's many hands light work. Um, as as chairman I don't see my role as to to manage the micro detail, it's to to be there if I'm needed Um, there's the formalities of chairing meetings and making sure we're getting strategy right and that that we've got the right resources in place and things like that but there's there's times where I don't need to speak to the team at Dolly's Dream, can go for a month and I won't speak to them but I'll get the emails, I'll see what they're doing on social media but they're a great team of people and I think that's yeah, whether it's at CPC or Dolly's Dream or Live Corp or, or other things that I do, you know, where you've got great people, you've got alignment, you've got uh, trust but you've also got a candor to be open about how you think we could do things better or encouraging people to have you know sort of I I hate to use the word manage up and and speak up but it it is that where you know you want the the team you know the juniors in the team say hey we could do this better or that's not working or what you're saying is not actually what we're doing is encourage that openness because you know it's just so efficient and that's how we get to a better place and yeah, you know, collaboration is just so so uh so so important. Um and so yeah, Got a great team of people around me, and you know, it takes time too. Like you, you know, you do a lot of nights and early mornings, and work some pretty long hours, and work weekends, and all of that sort of stuff. There is some sacrifice. I'd be lying if you said there wasn't sacrifice, whether it's with family or, you know, or myself. You know, there's if you're going to be pretty active in in your work and you're going to be a CEO or a director of a company, there's there's stuff that absolutely takes priority and things that you've got to sacrifice.
1: And it uh, certainly seems like you're passionate about it, so it's not like it's a chore that you've got to turn. No, up it's or. not. a not a
0: chore. So,
1: tell tell me a little bit more about um, obviously Dolly and so and the charity work because I think Dolly's dream came off the back of Dolly Everett and um, taking her own life after after bullying, and it completely. Uh, I, I guess one, it's amazing how one person can shift a whole conversation in uh, around the country. Um, yeah, in terms of the 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 story of Dolly and and the impact of that what was the impact for you kind of personally
0: um, for me i just couldn't believe that this young girl who i knew running around as a you know sort of primary school age kid i i didn't really know dolly in in high school very much because i just hadn't seen her she was a boarding school um and i was living in brisbane and they were living in the northern territory so but to see this, you know, to the, my picture and my memory of this young kid and happy parents and then it's just at an instant all over and then just to understand the pain and stress that she was going through and that, you know, young kids were causing that to her and that they probably didn't have any understanding of what they were ultimately going to Achieve, yeah. You know, they they knew what they were saying. You know, they, they probably didn't know the impact of their words or what Dolly would physically do. But it was also the, you know, the fact that parents didn't know. And I think that that was one of the big things that, that really came out was so many parents not knowing what their children are up to. At home, at boarding school, on devices, how they talk to each other, what signs to look for, um, how to how to be prepared for you know that your your child might be suffering or might be upset or or may not be handling things and looking for those withdrawal signs, looking for those bullying signs, looking for those you know signs you know just before suicide of you know and and so that was that was really. Um, you know, a bit of a, a wake-up, I suppose, for lots of people. The thing that really hit me, though, too, in those, you know, days and weeks after Dolly took her own life was how many people, whether it was on social media or big tough blokes that I knew said, I got bullied at school and I hated it. Um, I... You know, or saying I used to bully kids at school, and God, that was terrible. What I did, mm-hmm. and these were you know big tough guys, and and the number of I was really surprised by the number of truck drivers on social media, just as an example, who said bullying's terrible. It's horrible. I hate it. It happened to me at school. I'm just can relate so much to what she was doing or what she was thinking or how tough it was, and thinking, wow, this this is there's this sort of undercurrent of or undercurrents a wrong word but this sort of connection of of that that that's so much deeper in society than what we ever thought the other thing that dolly has done is has created a message of happiness that yeah every every day you you see the happiness messages on social media and so it's, yes it's about bullying prevention yes it's about kindness it's about social media and device and electronic awareness, but it's also about kindness and happiness. And so many people give me feedback of, we just get such good, happy messages. There's always this sort of kind, happy message every morning on Facebook that I look at or Instagram that I look at, and that changes my day. And you think, wow, it's so so broad and means so many things to so many people. And there's just so many stakeholders that have got their little piece of att- attachment to Dolly, in so many ways that uh, it's amazing
1: yeah it's truly incredible i think that that connection to mm. someone you don't never would have met f- can, you can feel like you know them or you, you at least feel connected to them because yeah. you've got that kind of sim- similarity isn't absolutely, it? absolutely yeah. yeah i've got a couple of questions for you troy and um we ask or a few of them were we throw around but in terms of one thing that I think we've probably floated around it a little bit, but this comes from a previous guest. Um, I ask each guest on the podcast to come up with a question for a future one. So what are you, what are you doing here at CPC to encourage young people in the business?
0: So we, we by nature, I suppose, of our business in Australia – and that it's in northern Australia. And there's a bit of adventure to it, and you know we we need um, energetic young people that that aren't you know connected or tied down just in terms of logistics of going out and camping out in the north and things. So we we get a lot of young people applying to go up to the north. How do we attract young people and the right young people? Is through social media. We're very active in social media. We act, We have a pretty clear strategy and time of. When we launch things and what platform they're on i think for young people it's about gaining trust with pardon me with them their parents as well not just with with them The don't underestimate the influence that parents and grandparents and things can have on where children Young people might want to work, or where they might want to go and live. So for us, it's a sort of multi-pronged approach. We show um, what it's like to be in the day of the life of a fair bit. So if you have day of the life of a cook, or the day of the life of a ringer, or day of the life of a truck driver, and those sorts of things on social media a bit. We go and talk at schools a bit. Um, We talk at industry events. You know, I'll give my time, or others from here will give their time to go and talk at different things and sponsor young things. We're very careful about where we do and don't put our brand. Our wine glass brand has been around for well over a hundred years, and uh, and we are happy to sponsor and support things, but we are careful about what we do and don't support. Um, and we uh, we we look at so where do where did our team members come from each year? How did they find out about us? What do they think about us before they joined, after they joined, when they left CPC? And we take and use that that feedback. Word of mouth is still a really big part of, of, um, of the recruitment process here. Um, you know, if, you're, if your team members are leaving your business and telling other people not to go there and that they didn't enjoy it, you know, it's, yeah. you're going to have to recruit outside of their peer group. Yeah. And with social media today, everyone can be in everyone's peer group. So, yeah. you know, if you've got people leaving because you made their experience bad or unhappy um it's going to spread pretty quickly so not saying we should be you know overly soft with people we've got to be firm and clear and this is what we expect of people but you know if you're not giving them a good experience they're going to share it
1: i reckon uh, on that wine glass brand there's always a bit of like fomo that people are like I-,
0: I bloody want one of those shirts or, yeah no and so you can't get a shirt unless you work at cpc so we get people really ask us, yeah we get people ask can you buy a shirt where do i get a shirt from You've got to work at C P C or be the owner of C P C to have a, a wine glass shirt. Well, oh, there you go. What's the shortest stint that someone can come and work for <laughs> you for? <laughs> it's usually a month or two and you get given a couple of shirts. So it's not like getting presented a jumper with the wallabies. Like it's I reckon it's pretty close it, too. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, we, we don't sell the shirts. We give away a few caps and things like that and at, um, but yeah, the the shirt is you've got to work at C P C to get a shirt. So and then as cool. you do, you know, your um your various times through the, the organisation, there's some awards and prizes you get. So you know, I've hit eight years and so yesterday I was presented with my big mega Yeti with CPC branded on it, my name on it, so um, with the team and we presented you know, various awards to, to team members yesterday. And we have whole of company awards as well, so we have People's Choice and Business of the Year and Most Improved Business and, and things like that. And that all that all helps to engage people and, and get them uh, in, in and around the business, so.
1: So do you get it run together? Or is
0: it all a virtual thing? We often days? try and get as many people as we can together. COVID's just made yeah, it hard. The last couple of years, we did it virtually yesterday. Yeah. Um, but we try and get all the managers, managers, partners, and sort of senior people together once a year, and then we get the junior managers together face to face twice a year, and then and then monthly they they come or every six weeks they come together virtually. And managers are usually weekly, um, virtually, and then our team in Indonesia is. Um, is yeah they're not they're only on sort of three sites so but they um there's a lot of people up there and and uh in the team and and so we we work with them as well so and some come out here and some go up there so
1: unreal plenty happening Um, a question i'll be interested in hearing your perspective you did mention that you guys go back and do a little bit of talking to schools but you get the chance to head down the road here i'm not familiar with brisbane schools i'll say churchy because it's the only one i know but um uh, maybe a, a metro school here in Brizzy and um you talk to year 10 students about a career in agriculture and why they should consider um, it as a
0: potential um career opportunity what what would be your message look i think you know the the message is is um around you know, think about industries and products that are going to be essential as, as a potential career choice. And food and fibre and clothing is, is going to be essential. Think about where you do and don't want to live and where you do and don't want to work and, and what you do and don't like doing. And agriculture offers uh, you know, it's an essential industry, essential jobs um there'll be some mechanization but agriculture is always going to need good people smart people it's gonna need people with judgment a lot of the jobs get the opportunity to be outside and 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 not just sort of locked in a a room staring at a screen you know you you stare at a screen often at home for vast numbers of hours every day and outside of work and you know do you want to stare at a screen your whole day while you're at work as well um and some people do and and good on them and excellent um Talk to them just to this just around the, you know, the the excitement of the other people I get to, to work with and the culture of that, but also transferable skills. And, you know, agriculture is, you know, there's leadership, there's machinery, there's equipment, there's livestock, there's uh, judgment, there's environment, there's water. And that's just... Uh, and food production and preparation and biosecurity and data management. And that's just, you know, one little part of, you know, being being in one role and those skills are so transferable so we get a lot of people that come and work for us for a couple of years who then go on to other industries and it's amazing when you you know we were fundraising a couple of years ago and you'd go and meet with investment bankers in Sydney and say "Oh, I worked at Carlton Hill Station for a couple of years when I left school and you know and it was a great experience I just learned so many communication skills and mateship skills and hard work and leadership or I worked at Newcastle Waters and now I'm in you know Banking or finance or you know TV production, the amount of people I've met with that either worked on our stations or worked in others, and just that broad, great start that they got. So that'd be my advice to you know people in Year Ten of you know why agriculture is a really good opportunity and and why it's not wasted to give agriculture a go. It's not you go and do two years in agriculture or three years or one year it's absolutely not wasted because you pick up all these great experiences and skills yeah. that are so transferable to so many industries.
1: Yeah. Now, it'd be bloody funny, I reckon, when you've got all these people coming across yeah. that, are, that have worked yeah. for the business. Yeah, absolutely. M- might even know some of the characters that, yeah. that are still running around for you guys too. Yeah. <laughs> One final question, yeah. and it's, what's a question you'd like me to ask a future guest?
0: Yeah, I, I'm not, not entirely sure. I think the, you know... For for future guests, it's it's probably around you know what else do they do outside of their day job that benefits their their day job. So for me, you know, if you if you go and work or not work, if you go and uh, take an elected position role and leadership has to be developed there through. Um, through sort of consensus and bringing people along because you don't have an org chart, yeah. you, you don't have a, a structure there. If you're, you know, even work at the local footy club, to bring everyone along with you or, or have an elected role there is, is a whole different type of leadership that's transferable to um, to your leadership in, in an organisation where you do have a bit more stick and you do have a bit more of an org chart to, to follow. But I think that, you know, though, what experiences do, the, do people get outside of their organization that they bring and use in their in their day job so yeah
1: it'll be interesting to see how people answer yeah. that yeah. might be a, a few really obscure kind of absolutely. hobbies or passions coming out absolutely yeah definitely uh, beauty well troy thank you so much for coming and having a chat and hosting me here for a little bit thank you i hope you guys enjoyed that chat it was a belter and i'm so fascinated by troy's journey and uh, as i said kind of last week that the last couple of weeks I'm actually scheduled these in advance um, I've been on, I'm going on up into the Kimberley and into Northern Australia so I think my perspectives are going to be really interesting for the podcast next week but as always we'd love to hear from you um, love feedback on these episodes what are you enjoying what guests would you like to hear from um, and any constructive feedback or um, yeah or, or areas that you would love um, for us to lean into a little bit more. Look after yourself, stay safe, stay sane. I can't wait to join you again next week and I'll be back on board and we'll see. I've got a, a rough plan of who we're gonna have, but things might change, you just never know.